Indianapolis, Scottsdale, Arizona, Houston, Texas, Fayetteville, Arkansas, all the Ports Live locations, everybody tuning in. We are wrapping up, as he said, this series, Hot Take Summer. Each week we have been starting with some hot takes. And so I am going to give some hot takes to kick it off before we get into tonight's hot take or subject for the night. Hot take number one, Remember the Titans is the greatest movie of all time. I am tempted to just make the rest of the sermon remember the Titans quotes and uh, strong side. And uh, there you go. Okay. Hot take number two. If you are coughing, congested, and sneezing, it is never just allergies. You need to go to a doctor, get some medication, people. This whole, and it's just my allergies, it is not your allergies if you have a fever, okay? Hot take number three, the 4th of July is underrated. Top three, I think it's top three best holidays. You got Easter, then Christmas, 4th of July. There, I said it. Hot take number four, this one's hot. I don't think it's that hot with this crowd, but it should happen. Hashtag free Britney, okay? Hot take number five. This one is hot for this crowd. Every Taylor Swift song sounds the same. Okay. Wow. There you go. Mix it up, T-Swift. Hot take number six. Nobody should ever eat kale. It's disgusting. If you disagree, you're lying to yourself. I don't even know when this vegetable was invented. It wasn't here 20 years ago. It's like the same lab. I'm not even going to touch that, actually. um. Hot take number seven. Crocs should never be worn unless you are at the beach or the lake. I I know there's Crocs all over this room right now. I don't know how they came back, man, but they are back. All right, here's a hot take that'll go into a story before I give us a hot take. Hot take, I think the best honeymoon vacation spot is Cancun, Mexico. I could explain, I don't have time to go into it right now. It's a very affordable, you're not spending your money on jet fuel to take you to Hawaii. It's cost effective, there's so many perks and they have all inclusives. Which leads me to a story that'll get us into the hot take for tonight. A few years ago, uh, because my wife and I love Mexico and a good friend who teaches here and was here for years, JP and his wife Monica, they love Mexico. We have that in common. We'll do trips occasionally to Mexico. This was one of those trips. Booked this resort. It was a crazy deal. It was like seven days for basically $1,000 per couple, all inclusive, everything included. It was just amazing and a really sweet hotel. We show up, we get there, it's me, my wife, JP, his wife, go to the front desk, you check in. It's just what you do. We're there to check in, and they're checking in, uh, JP and his wife, and they say, sir, we have two sides, or there's two uh, parts of this resort. There's the family side, and then there's the adults-only side called heaven. And (laughs) you 
will be in the family-friendly side, JP. And, I, and we walked in not even knowing this was a thing. We were just like, we're here for the resort. And, uh, and then they check in, they're going off to the room, and they say, Mr. and Mrs. Marvin, <laughs> you will be staying in heaven. <laughs> Man, wow, glory. Did not, wow, this is how it's going to happen. Yeah, there's a golf cart. It's going to take you to heaven. You can bring your bags over there that way. And so we're like, man, I, I, at this point, you, it's one of those times where you're like, man, I don't know whether to be like, no, we, we want to be with them. And we're like, sorry, bro, deuces. Have fun at Chuck E. Cheese with all the kids. And they take us on the golf cart. We get over to the heaven side. And um, what I see as we get to our room was not what I expected to see in that there were paint tarps everywhere. There was construction workers everywhere. Right outside of our room, they take us in, they put our bags down. There's a jackhammer guy right outside of our window. And I'm like, what? This is, this is hell. This isn't heaven. This has been a mistake. And they put us over there because the resort was at max capacity and the heaven side was not open yet because there was still construction taking place, but they had run out of room. So it was just a small group of people that we're going to be over there. And I start there because in the same way that, you know, in that story, heaven was filled with people that it was not what I was expecting. In a very similar way, the true and actual heaven, I think, is going to be filled with people. And for many, it's not what they expected or not who you would have expected. Because tonight's hot take is a really important one because it doesn't have to do with where you're gonna have seven days at a resort. It has to do with where you're gonna spend eternity. And the hot take, the first part of it is good people don't go to heaven. Hot take, good people don't go to heaven. And being good is not gonna make you good enough to get into heaven. This is a very common candidly belief, and I think it is one of the primary reasons people will spend eternity apart from God. Sadly, some of you in this room, at some degree, think good people are the ones who go to heaven. If you live a good life and you try to be good, and I think I'm a pretty good person, that's, I'm going to spend eternity with heaven, or eternity with God in heaven. And at some level, it makes sense. I mean, of course, you know, if you were God or you're a nice person and, and it just kind of adds up, most of the major world religions teach, hey, the key to having a relationship with God, the key to having eternal life is just be a good person. And so while it makes sense, there's a few problems that come along with it. One of them, as we're going to see, is the Bible. But even if you stepped outside of that for a reason, I just want you to think about this question. There's some challenges that come with Good people go to heaven, even on its face. Take the Bible out for a second. One of those problems would be, there's no universally accepted standard of what is good. You could ask different people, like, hey, what does it mean to be a good person? Or what is a good thing? And depending on who you ask, you're going to get different views. Even the major world religions have different opinions on what is a good action and what is not. There are certain major world religions that would say performing some sort of jihad or attacking or blowing yourself up in a building will send you immediately to the highest level of heaven. And then there's others of us who would say, that's not a good action at all. That's a horrific evil. But even if you just go on a more plain level, there's different standards that all of us would have on like, what is actually a good person? Some of you may say, hey, you know, a good person 
uh, save sex for marriage. And others would say, no, a good person just, you know, they don't sleep around a lot. They save it for someone they really care about. Just two different opinions. Different opinions of what a good person would do in terms of how much money they would give away or being generous. If there's different standards or opinions on even what is good. There's no universally accepted, this is good. The other problem with being a good person, or if you do good, then you're going to be accepted in heaven, is we don't have the grading scale. Like, like think about it. What is a sufficient number of good deeds? Is it 51%? Is that it? You just got to do more good deeds than bad deeds? Is the number, hey, you got to do 70%? That's where the school grading system comes from. You got to get above 70% or else you fail. What is it? But the most important problem with why good people don't go to heaven, or most relevant thing is because the Bible teaches very emphatically, good people don't go to heaven. And I want to walk through a story that covers three reasons that enforce why that is the case. And to do so, we're going to be at a story found in Mark chapter 10. And this is a story that's also found in Luke 18. It's a story that's found in uh, Matthew 19. And it is a story of Jesus and an interaction that he has with a young man who asks a question that every person at some way or at some point in their life, everybody asks. And it's related to eternal life. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to walk through those three reasons why good people don't go to heaven, according to Jesus in the Bible. It says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. As Jesus started on his way, he's walking with his boys, a man ran up to him, and he fell on his knees before him, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? It's an interesting response. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony or lie. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. I bet you have. Jesus looked at him. I love this. And he loved him. And that is just like Jesus. God, human form, looks at him. He's like, man, I like this guy. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around at his disciples and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go, camel being that enormous, bigger than a horse animal, To go through the eye of a needle, as in like the sewing thing your grandma uses, easier for it to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked around at them and said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, 
all things are possible. So Jesus walks along the road. He's there with his disciples. All of a sudden, a guy walks up, throws himself in front of him. Matthew tells us that he's, uh, all three accounts tell us he's rich. Matthew tells us he's young. Luke tells us he's a ruler, which meant basically he was, had religious authority. And so this guy is the total package. He's young, he's got authority or influence, and he's got money. This would be the equivalent. He's not just, in other words, sometimes you read stories like this and you think, oh man, it's just a bad guy. This is a good guy. This is the guy your mom wants you to bring home. He's got a J-O-B. He has got influence. He's a good guy, lives and follows the rules or tries to as best he can. This is Tim Tebow or Ben Higgins. This is the guy on The Bachelor. You're like, yes, man, I'm, yes, yes, he's the one, yes. Not the guy that you're like, oh man, that guy's such a jerk. How does she not see this? This is a guy that you'd be rooting for. Seems to have it all together. Certainly has the total package. And he comes up and he asks a really important question. The question, where or how can I have eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, before even answering the question, asks a really eye-opening question to him. And he says, you just called me good teacher. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. What is Jesus saying? And Jesus is readjusting how this man thought or saw the world. That he, Jesus in other words, is not saying, hey, uh, I'm not God. He's saying, are, are you calling me God? What are you calling me when you say that? My guess is the man is just going, look, I was just trying to be polite and say, good teacher. And Jesus is saying, no, there isn't anyone good but God. Do you know that? The first thing the Bible teaches related to this topic over and over and that is clearly in this text is the reason why good people don't go to heaven is good people don't exist. Good people don't go to heaven because good people don't exist. The Bible doesn't ever teach that, hey, that, you know, there's good people and you've got a good heart and just listen to it and he's a good guy. The Bible teaches that there is no good people anywhere. There's only a good God or a good, the only one who is good, Jesus. In Romans chapter 3, it says this, as it relates to this idea, Paul writing, says in verse 10, 11, and 12, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. How about that for a feel-good verse? Paul says there's nobody good. Grandma's not good, you're not good, mom's not good, guy who took you on a date's not good. Nobody, and you know that for a fact, nobody is good. <laughs> because the Bible teaches good people can't go to heaven or good people don't go to heaven because there is no one who is good. As good as you think you are, I need you to listen to me very clearly. According to the biblical definition of what is good, no one meets that standard. I think if all of us were to be honest with ourselves, we have lived lives where everyone would say, hey, I'm not perfect, which is another way of saying, according to the biblical definition of good, which is without anything wrong, we've fallen short. There's something on TikTok going around right now, I've been told, but there's a game that we all grew up playing as a kid, never have ever. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody raise a hand. Raise a hand right now. Five fingers up in the air. If you got five, you got four, do what you got. <laughs> if you have ever lied in your life, put a finger down. If you have ever stolen anything, put a finger down. If you have ever cheated on anything, put a finger down. If you are about to give me the middle finger right now, put it, no, don't do it. 
If you have ever lusted after someone, put a finger down. If you have ever coveted or had envy over someone else's life, stuff, things, scenario, relationships, put a finger down. If you've lied, stay with me. How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? One. How many times do you have to steal to be a thief? In other words, how many cars would, if the guy you're dating or the girl you're dating stole a car, how many cars would they have to steal for you to be like, yeah, I don't think that's a great character quality. Um, One. The Bible says, in terms of lust, that if you lust, lust after someone who's not your spouse, you have committed, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, it's the same sin as adultery. Done it at a heart level. If you've coveted or you've longed after somebody else's stuff, which some of you guys maybe have done since you walked into the room, that you've broken God's command. You're a liar, a thief, an adulterer. The biblical standard of goodness is very different than our standard because our standard, for honest, if we're honest, is really like, hey man, if they're good for the most part, they're a good person. That's what we mean. The biblical standard of goodness is a, if they're good in every part, they're good. My kids are three and five. We've got a son that's five and a daughter that's three, and they will drink milk for breakfast and get them out, give them their sippy cups, or drinking their milk, sitting there, melting their brains with an iPad. And, um, and something happens often when you give kids milk is they'll not finish the entire thing and it'll sit there. And then, you know, eight hours later, they're at the same dinner table sitting for dinner and the milk is still there because their mother is irresponsible. And uh, totally kidding. I'm totally, she's much more responsible. Good grief, people, okay? Save me the email. Let me get an email. You really shouldn't talk to your wife like that. Um, just kidding. All right. Anyways, they come back to the milk, and here's what happens. This happens so many different times where they take a sip of it, and they're, oh, and they spit out chunks because the milk has been sitting there the entire day. It's gross. If I was to take that milk cup and be like, hey, hey, I got you. I go over to the sink, just scoop the curds off the top, bring it right back. Would you drink it? Because you understand that even if I take away the curds, because I'm like, oh yeah, hey, there's curds on top, but I got rid of those and there's other stuff underneath, everything's fine. You would go, no, there's certain things that if any part of it is spoiled, the whole thing is spoiled. Biblically, that is how it talks about goodness. That inside of every single person that is broken and there's a sin nature, sinfulness to every human heart that doesn't allow us to reach the biblical standard of what is Good. And if you grew up in church, and this is so huge, especially if you're raised or you have some familiarity, maybe you went to Sunday school or you went through confirmation or you just kind of like, you know, were at some exposure to the church. You may have heard people say things that are really foolish and just not accurate. Things like this. Hey, the Bible is a, full, is a book full of good stories about good guys and you should try to be like those guys. That's not the message of the Bible. That's not even the contents of what the Bible has. The Bible is a book full of broken people. Everybody who's messed up except one guy, Jesus. And all the other people are so bad that they kill the one good guy, Jesus. The Bible is not full of all these stories of good men. And just to use a couple examples of people, maybe you've heard of Father Abraham. Heard of Father Abraham, had many sons. I'm one of them, so are you. Heard the song, all that stuff. Father Abraham started the faith. Let's talk about Abraham for a second. Abraham, on two different occasions was going into a new town, new area, and he was so afraid of the people that lived there, he looked at his wife and was like, man, you are a catch. I cannot believe you married me. 
I'm afraid these guys are going to kill me in order to sleep with you. So why don't we just like, you just, you sleep with them. That way they won't kill me. And he lets his wife go into the homes and be around other men. Basically pimping out his wife two times, which I think most of us would agree is two times too many. On another occasion, his wife comes up and she's like, man, I just don't, you're supposed to have kids and I'm getting too old. I don't think maybe you should sleep with the maid. And he, you know, the next scene is like, okay, if you say, and he sleeps and gets his servant. That's Abraham, the father of our faith. And I could go on and on. David, King David killed Goliath, man after God's own heart. David, one day he's sitting at home on the palace. He's out watching and sees a woman on top of her roof, naked bathing. Isn't a great idea anytime, but he sees this woman. It's one of his best friend's wife, wives named Bathsheba. And he says, man, hey, go get that woman. Takes her into the home, sleeps her, gets her pregnant. Sleeps with one of his best friends, his mighty men, his wife. And then she gets pregnant and David doesn't come clean. He, he decides to kill his best friend in order to cover up his action. We need to think about that. If that is a part of your story, God can do anything. But most of us would go, yeah, that's, that's pretty extreme. You apply to the porch tonight and you're like, yeah, so last week I killed a guy and then I, after I slept with his, his wife and we'd be like, bro, we're gonna, we're gonna work on some counseling and go through some stuff and maybe call the police. And uh, this is a guy who wrote huge parts of the Bible. And so whatever sin, you come into this room and you're like, man, I just don't know that God would accept me. If David was here, he'd be like, hey bro, come back when you killed somebody and you slept with his wife before doing it. The Bible is not story after story of good men. It's men that had faith but had tremendous failure. Because good people don't exist. It's the first reason good people can't go to heaven. And then Jesus goes, and it's so brilliant what he does next. I, I, I hope I can even communicate how amazing, just how he weaves what happens. He says this. Jesus answers. In response to how can I, what should I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments, and he begins to list out the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud or manipulate and lie. Honor your father and your mother. And the man said, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. This brother does not lack self-confidence. All these I've done since I was a young kid. He still thinks, man, I'm a good guy. Jesus, you're a good guy. We've got a good guy club going on. And Jesus says, he looked at him and he loved him. You lack one thing. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great many possessions. What is Jesus saying? It's a really fascinating take. It's like, whoa, Jesus, he just asked for eternal life and you gave him a list of things to do. Cut. All right, we're going to run this one back, Jesus. Here the line is, walk him through how to pray the prayer. Jesus does something really fascinating. He's responding to the man of like, hey, what do I have to do? What actions? He's going, if you want to play by the rule of your actions are what, allows you to have eternity with God. The standard is perfection. And he lists out, and if you notice, out of the Ten Commandments, he lists five. He lists the back five, if you will, of the Ten Commandments. So here's the Ten Commandments. You may have seen these growing up in school, heard these before. You can read through the list. He lists out the five that have to do 
only with relationship with other people. Only with kind of earthly, hey, don't kill anybody, don't sleep with somebody who's not your wife, don't steal, don't lie to them, honor your father and your mother. He lists out the back five. Why? Why would he list those out? Arguably the first three are the hardest or the first two. Hey, you shouldn't have anything as a priority greater than me. You shouldn't have anything that you worship or any idol in your life that you prioritize that's number two above me. Because in asking him to do what he did, I want you, if you want to play by that, you want to go commandments. You think that you are good enough or your good actions could earn you a relationship with God, then I want you to go follow the first two and go sell everything that you have. Because the law is, there is nothing that is a greater priority in your life than me. So rich young ruler, I want you to go put all that money and sell it and give it away and display. There is no idol in your life. There is nothing of greater priority in your life and I am going to follow you. The second idea from the text is that God doesn't want good. He wants you. He looks at this man and he puts his finger and Jesus does this and he does it often in anyone who follows Jesus' life. He puts his finger right on an issue of this man's heart. A part of his heart that had got tied up that, hey man, I want to follow God and I want to serve God and I want to do, check the box and I want to spend eternal life with God. And Jesus, knowing he had great wealth, puts his finger on this thing that had taken ground in his heart. Puts his finger on a place in the man's heart where God was not his priority. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. It's really interesting that he says, one thing you lack, and then he gives him four things to do. Go, sell, give, follow. What is he, what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to give everything to me. I don't want your religious actions. I want your heart's affection. I don't want you to do a bunch of religious acts. I want a relationship with you because God is not concerned about good. He wants you, not good actions. Christianity is interesting because it is both hard and easy. In other words, to become a Christian, you do so in a moment of placing your faith in Jesus. I believe on the cross, you died for my sin. You paid for everything I've ever done. And then you died and you rose again. And I accept that payment for my sin. In a moment of faith, believing that, eternity has changed. Your eternity has changed. So it's in both easy in that it requires nothing. It requires coming to a place where, God, I bring you nothing. I'll never be good enough, but I don't have to because you allowed me to have a relationship with you by dying in my place on the cross. It's both easy because it requires nothing. And it is hard because Jesus demands everything. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that in like some cultish weird way, like, hey, everybody put your keys of the car on stage. I mean, when you begin to follow Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, this is how people change, by the way. The Holy Spirit 
begins to come into your heart and kind of inform how you do things, how, inform how you make decisions. And it begins to take everything about you that's not like Jesus and go, hey, hey, I, I want us to work on that. I want to change that. I want to move you through to where you don't date like everybody else dates. And I know that's how you've always dated, but he just begins to come in and just convict you. And you just find I'm not able to go out and party the same way that I used to. Things just aren't as fun. It's like he begins to change your appetites, change your taste buds and things that were so normal. Like, man, Friday, we go to the bar, club, just going to go hook up, find a girl, hopefully take somebody home. And it begins to be like, man, it's just, ah, I don't even know if I can do it anymore. It's just, I can't just go through and, you know, hey girl, how are you? Do you, you have plan, do you have a Bible and do you know Jesus? And it just is like he's beginning to change because he is. Because following him, at first it requires nothing. But Jesus, because he loves you so much right the way that you are, he also loves you too much to leave you that way. And he wants to change everything about you about me that doesn't look like Jesus. It's interesting in that sense. And it's very easy and hard. And he looks at this man and he says, one thing you lack, give me everything. I want you to know I'm better. I want you to get all your stuff together and I want you to know that you can walk away from it and walk towards me and you'll discover I'm better. And he's not doing that because he's against stuff or hates stuff. That's where people get off. That's not the point of the story. The point is, I want you to experience, I'm better. This man is confronted with, there's an area of his heart. Man, I I really just want to kind of check the box relationship with God. I don't want everything and I don't want this relationship. I want religious actions, which a lot of people want because it makes them feel like, well, God owes me something now. He doesn't owe us anything. But he wants you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. It's like this. There's a huge difference between friends with benefits and married. Can we all agree? Like a friends with benefits relationship is basically like, hey, I'm going to use you uh, to get what I want. And I may do some things and be nice and, you know, not be a jerk in order to let me use you to get what I want. Marriage is you are what I want. And I'm not going to use you or do anything in order to get something else that I want. You're what I want. And the Bible says, Jesus, religion in general is a friends with benefits mentality. God, I'm going to use you. I'm going to try to check the box and just give me the line. How much do you want? How much, tell me how much money I got to give you. Tell me how much stuff I got to give you. How much time? How many times I got to go to church? I'll do all of that. And then you have to give me what I want. That doesn't at all line up with what the Bible says. The Bible says God wants something so much better for you, for everyone. He doesn't want religious action. He wants your heart's affection. He wants a relationship with you. Jesus wanted this, under man, this man who he loved. I mean, think about it. It's God in human form looking at him. He's like, man, I love this guy. I love you. I want you to experience and know I'm better than all of that stuff. And then he gives the answer, which is really the most important part of the entire message. 
The man walks off and he's sad. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Is he saying that money's a bad thing? No. Is he saying that it is harder for some people to enter the kingdom of God than other people? No, it's impossible for everybody. The point is not money. Even the question of the disciples shows like, the point was not money. They ask a question, well, then who can be saved? It's a really funny question because if this was about money, the answer is clear. Hey, rich people, really hard for them to get in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples would have gone, this is that poor people are in. High five, we are in. God wants everybody to be poor, pretend like they're happy, and yes, we're in. But that wasn't the point. In that day and age, the reason they were so shocked is there was a belief that if you were wealthy, it's because God had blessed you and you basically had been faithful or done good enough things to where God had blessed your life with financial. You were closer to God. It's the assumption. And Jesus says, it's impossible for everybody to get in. Let me read it again. Who can be saved? With man on your own? With religious action? With being a good person? With trying to do good things? With giving to charity? With giving of your time? It is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Good people don't go to heaven because good people don't exist. God doesn't want good. He wants you. And the final reason is good people don't go to heaven because doing good can't save you. But God can. Doing good cannot save you. No matter how many times you pray, you give, you act in a way that you think is good, it does nothing to earn your way to God. Jesus says it is impossible. Really, the essence of the Christian message is it is impossible to do on your own. He wants dependence, not obedience. Dependence on him leads to obedience, but the message of Christianity is the way that you and I have a relationship with God is through, I got, I'm dependent on you. I'm unable by myself or on my own. And it's about dependence, not obedience. That dependence leads to obedience, but it is being dependent, God. I surrender my life to you. He really illustrated this in the verses immediately before this story. It's funny, the timing of it. You know what happened right before the conversation he's having with this rich young ruler? Some kids are running up to Jesus and it says this. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant to the disciples. So disciples are there, kids, people are bringing their family, like, Jesus, hey, will you bless my child? Putting him on his lap like he's Santa at the mall. And they're like, hey, just hold him for a second. And Jesus is sitting there and they're like, hey, will you bless my child? And the disciples are like, man, who 
get those kids away from him. Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, let the little children come to me. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, totally dependent, cannot enter it. In Jesus' day and age, children were seen as entirely dependent. They still are today. I've got a three-year-old daughter who is entirely dependent on me. She can't change her diaper. She can't feed herself. The other day, we're hanging out at a pool. She's in clothes. She walks straight in the pool. And it was like, oh my, okay. She's totally, she can't even be alone by herself. She's totally dependent on her parents. And Jesus said, the only way you can enter the kingdom of God, that's heaven, is by being totally dependent on your heavenly father. That you are not enough. But the good news is you don't have to be because he is. And he has gone out of his way to make a way for you to spend eternity with him by trusting in Jesus, not in how good you are. The entire point, over and over, Jesus hammers. He gives Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter seven. Beautiful sermon, most famous sermon of all time. Inside of the Sermon on the Mount, over and over and over, there's haunting things that he says, where he says things like, you must be perfect, because your heavenly Father's perfect. Another occasion, he says, you, unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees, You will not enter the kingdom of God. Who are the Pharisees? He points at this group in the audience. Pharisees were professional religious people. All that they did was be good. On the business card, I do good, so you don't have to. They focused on the following God's law to greater degrees than even the law had laid out. They were the best of the best in society. And Jesus looks and says, unless you're better than those guys, you will not spend eternity with me. It would be like saying, unless you are fast, you will never be able to go to heaven. And if you ask, how how fast? Unless you are faster than Usain Bolt, you cannot enter heaven. Usain Bolt's too slow. That would be the reaction of the, that's impossible. That's the point. That Jesus didn't come to set up some new religion and to make people good. He came to make dead people alive and to give away for you to spend eternity with God by giving his life on your behalf. Because no matter how good, and listen to me very closely, some of you guys have bought the lie that you're a good person. And the Bible, as nice as you are, I bet you pay your taxes. I bet you're a really good guy. You probably help your friends move when they need to move. You probably like show up and you're like care for your grandma and your grandma loves the heck out of you. You, according to the Bible, are going to hell if you do not trust in Jesus because no one is good enough. And doing good actions can never make you good enough because good actions or doing good can't save you, but God can. In Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul says this. He basically lays out, like this is Peter to Cornelius and he's laying out like, here is what we are here to do. This is after Jesus rose from the dead, taking the Christian message. We are here to proclaim only through Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Not everyone who behaves for him is made right in God's sight. Everyone who believes in Jesus and what he did on the cross, there is forgiveness of sins for that person. When they come to the end of themselves, I'm not good enough on my own. They become a prime candidate to be the type of person who will spend eternity with God because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. 
Because good people don't exist. But forgiven people do. And there is only one way to get forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is what happens whenever you have kind of a breakdown in your relationship and you see that person, they hurt your feelings and there's distance. Anytime there's been, you know, they did you wrong or you did them wrong and now every time you see them at Starbucks, you're like, okay, I'm out of here because there hasn't been forgiveness. It's what heals relationships. And God has offered forgiveness through Christ to heal the relationship, the gap, the distance, but not through your actions through a moment of, by faith, saying, I believe, Jesus, you lived, you died, and you rose from the grave. And you were, in doing so, paying for everything bad I've ever done. And I can have a relationship with you not because I have a perfect past, because I don't. And not because of all the things I, I promise I'll do for you, but because of what you did for me. And you can be forgiven and spend eternity with God but not if you live trying to be a good person. Because good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Conclusion, good people don't exist. God doesn't want religious actions, he wants you. He wants your heart. And he has offered the solution, which is him. Because doing good can't save you, but God, and trusting in him, can. My son, and I'll close here, this past uh, 4th of July, <clears throat> we're hanging out, and, and as a five-year-old, he was like, man, you're ready, buddy. We're gonna stay up. You're gonna get to watch fireworks, which is like four hours past his bedtime. But he's jacked up on candy and like, where's the explosions? And we're hanging out, we're waiting for it, and, and, uh, and he's just so stoked. And, and in fact, here's a picture. We're just at our house, he's waiting. He's like, this is the best. At one point, he goes, this is the second best Best holiday of my life. I was like, that's amazing. What, what was number one? And it was just unusual for somebody to categorize it like, hey, this, this is not best, but number two, we just got it. I was like, well, what was the best? And he was like, Easter, definitely Easter. And as a dad, I'm like, that's my boy right there. That's right. <laughs> It's the most important day in human history. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, man, I'm about to start parenting classes. That's what I should do for a living. Gosh, that's right. Jesus rose from the grave. Now, all this is going through my head. And I'm like, yeah, why? He goes, or I said, because Jesus rose from the grave? And he, he goes, no, I just like the word east and er. <laughs> right. And, uh. When you're five, it's like, man, cancel the parenting classes. And um, when you're five and you miss it and you don't get it, it, it it's kind of cute. But when you're 25 and you don't get the point of Easter, which is the point of life, it, it's not cute. It's tragic. And I want you to think about something. Again, it's just a close. This man was offered something that very few people were ever offered in the New Testament. An invitation from Jesus, the most important, significant, influential person to ever live. An invitation to follow him and be his disciple. I mean, had he taken him up on it, think about 
This guy joins all the other guys. You got Matthew, you got Mark, you got Peter, you got James, you got the other James, John, this guy. And he looks Jesus in the eye. And he says, man, I'm gonna have to say no. I, I got a lot of stuff. And I just, I don't know if it's worth it. And I don't, I don't want to miss out. And he missed out on everything. He missed out on walking with the one who not only made him, but he was made for. In hindsight, we can see it and we're like, that was a bad trade, bro. I mean, what, what stuff, what, what was so important? You got a house, like some camels? Like what, what, was, what was so much better than him? I got a hunch that there's gonna come a day in eternity where all the different things that just like this man, there's this one thing that God, man, I just, I wanna go all in with you, but I can't really surrender it. And I, I wanna follow you, but I just don't wanna know if you're gonna call me to step out of this relationship or change the way that I live or change the way that I, I don't know, God. We're gonna look back and for all of eternity go, what was I thinking? I was so afraid to miss out on this. I missed out on the thing I was made for. And it's tragic to miss out and to misunderstand with your five. Or it's sad, it's funny, it's whatever. It is heartbreaking to miss out on the one you were made for when you're 25 when you're 28, when you're 22, when you're 35. And this man looked it in the face and said, nah, I don't know if it's worth it. Only to realize for all of eternity it was. And my heart for you, wherever you're at right now, breaks at the idea of you spending eternity and you're holding on to whatever you're afraid, man, if I just release this to God or if I really just go all in with him, afraid of missing out and my heart breaks the idea that you're going to spend eternity having missed out and if you have never put your faith in Jesus you are like this rich young ruler who at some day in some way is going to ask the question as I stare death in the face how can I know I'm going to spend eternity with God what must I do and I want to be abundantly clear the action is this nothing but accept what was done for you 2,000 years ago when God came in the form of a man named Jesus, carried a cross, had nails driven through his hands and his feet, whips filled with nails, scraping across his back, a crown of thorns placed on his head, and he stared death in the face, and it was the day death died for anyone who will simply accept you will never be good enough to earn God's love but the good news is you don't have to you just have to accept it by faith I believe you Jesus I believe you paid for me I don't want to miss out I don't want to live another day of my life walking through not knowing and walking with the one I was made for and I receive your forgiveness and tonight is your night.
I'm gonna pray. And as we do, I wanna do something that we almost never do. As we end this series, I want everybody to just bow your head right now and pray. I wanna give a chance for if you're in the room and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I wanna walk you through a prayer. And the prayer doesn't embody or magic words that save anybody. The prayer is just a reflection of, God, I want to spend eternity with you. God, I receive that free gift. It's just a reflection of something going on on the inside. And if you're in that place right now, out loud, to yourself, I want to lead you in this prayer. Father, I have sinned. I have done things and lived in a way that is unworthy of you. I know I cannot on my own do whatever is needed to have eternal life, but I can receive the free gift that you gave when you died in my place on the cross for my sin and then you rose from the dead and everything I've ever done was paid for. I believe that. I know I will spend eternity with you because I believe that. Take my life and use it for your name and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.